At One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our trained comfort specialists are here to help improve the air quality of your home. So call 855-1HOUR or visit onehourair.com. Always on time or you don't pay Independently owned and operated. Licensed in their respective state or county. Use your mobile phone to get seven minutes of nonstop news from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Seven at seven. Weekdays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about hockey and the trades that are involved with said hockey. I am Ben Goats, one of your Review Journal Golden Knights beat writers, joined on the other line by my colleague who is in Los Angeles for the Knights series against the Kings right now. It's David Shane. Dave, how are you doing? Uh, Overcast and a little bit dreary Los Angeles, I'd like to add. Uh, but doing great. Nice to be on the road and uh, looking forward to uh, this is a big week for the Knights. They, at some point here, they got to they got to try to make a move on Colorado if they if Colorado eventually loses one of these days. So it's uh, it's a good time out here. I say the problem with making a move uh, on Colorado is that Colorado refuses to be moved <laughs> yeah, on. No doubt. And and we're going to talk about how that race kind of sets up after the NHL's, of course, trade deadline because the Knights made a move. Colorado made several moves. And so we'll kind of take you through what the Knights did and what the rest of the teams in the division did to set up for the stretch run. But before we do all that, I want to remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is sponsored by One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating. We're always thankful for their support. We are presented this week by Brooke Linen. Uh, as always, you guys can check out all our written work because we've written extensively about what the Knights did and did not do at the NHL's trade deadline at reviewjournal.com. Uh, also, if you guys could uh, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, please do to this one. We would very much appreciate it. Uh, we'll hopefully have another episode coming out for you guys this week. Uh, with uh, some content that I think you guys will be excited about. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, But let's talk this week about what the Golden Knights have done in terms of transactions. They did end up making a move before Monday's trade deadline. The deadline was at noon and it was about, you know, close to 10 o'clock ish. We got the reports that the Knights were acquiring forward Matthias Janmark from the Chicago Blackhawks. For those that have not seen the news and are not familiar with him as a player, he's a 28-year-old left shot wing with 10 goals and 9 assists in 41 games this season. He joined Chicago as a UFA in the offseason. And before that, Knights fans may remember him because he played for the Dallas Stars for four years and was part of the team last year that beat the Knights to go to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, The cost for the Knights for this move, they gave the Blackhawks a second and third round pick to get Yanmark, and they also got a fifth round pick back. Uh, The Knights also sent San Jose, the Sharks, helping out the Knights in this deal, uh, a fifth round pick to retain part of Yanmark's salary and make the money work. Uh, Yanmark had a $2.25 million cap hit, but he's actually only counting about $560,000 against the Knights books because Chicago retained half a salary, then San Jose retained half of that salary to help him squeeze under, uh, as what everyone who has listened to the show knows by now, is a very tight 
salary cap for the Knights, which is why uh, in recent weeks they've had to play with uh, less than a full complement of players. Uh, Dave, we've been talking about the trade deadline for weeks on the show, projecting, predicting what the Knights were going to end up doing. Uh, what did you think of this move and this basically what you expected out of the Knights on Monday? Yeah, mostly. I mean, I don't know if Matthias Yanmark was the exact person or player that, you know, I'd have earmarked as a guy that the Knights could go get. But I think it was probably going to be something along the lines of this type of move, you know, more of secondary scoring, depth, you know, as opposed to anything really splashy. I mean, we'll talk about a couple guys that at least reportedly the Knights kind of kicked the tires on. We don't know how serious or, you know, how close to acquiring, you know, a couple of those players the Knights came. At least one of them uh, talked publicly about, you know, how the Knights were at least a, a little bit of a suitor or at least checked in uh, to see if if he was available. But I think in the grand scheme of things, you know, knowing where the salary cap situation was. And then this was the other thing, too, that I think Kelly McCrimmon really emphasized and I think I found a little bit interesting was his commitment to adding without making any sort of subtraction from the active roster. And they gave up a couple draft picks, but they didn't have to match salary or move anybody out to make this work. The only thing that they did was add. So in that sense, I mean, unless there's, you know, something with chemistry or something like that, you know, with Tatar, which you wouldn't expect, or even that, like the Knights can only get better from this. Like they didn't get worse because they didn't give away anybody. So from that standpoint, and, and in terms of the type of move that they made, yeah, I, I I do think this was what I expected. I don't think any of us entirely believed Kelly McCrimmon that they wouldn't, you know, do anything, that they would stand pat at the deadline. They've always made some kind of move. It's almost like they can't, help themselves they can't resist so uh, you know all things considered and the type of player that he is where he fits on the third line and things like that yeah it's it's about ballpark and area code for what i thought they would be yeah still the quietest trade deadline probably the knights have had so far obviously the first year they get tomas tatar as you mentioned dave and ryan reeves second year you get mark stone third year you add alec martinez a few days before the deadline and then add nick cousins and of course robin leonard on deadline day so it's a little bit different to get a guy that as you said is sounds like he will slot in at a third line left wing when he starts out that was coach Pete Boer's initial thoughts after the deal went down on Monday we're recording this actually on Wednesday and Matias Yanmark is expected to join the team today and so we'll see if in fact that is his spot in the lineup uh, it's an interesting fit he's a guy that can play on both special teams Units. He would actually have the uh, be tied for the second most power play goals on the Knights. He has four. Cody Glass also has four. No one else on the Knights has more than that except for Max Pacioretty. He'd be tied for fourth in power play points on the Knights behind Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, and Shea Theodore. And then he's also gotten a regular penalty kill shift in both Dallas and Chicago as well. So he's an interesting fit. He would also have the second most points among the Knights' bottom six right behind Alex Tuck. Um, so do you like that fit there, Dave, of kind of helping out that third line and getting a guy uh, in Yamark who has, you know, a bit of speed, uh, pairing him with Tuck and moving Tuck also back to his kind of natural right wing and hoping to shore up the third line that way? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Alex Tuck, for the most part, has proven that he can play on his off wing this year. 
I think that was definitely a concern, you know, maybe the last couple of years. And I think, you know, this year he's looked a little more comfortable. Uh, I do think there's a lot of kind of rotation where those guys, you know, will start on one wing and just, you know, in the flow of play end up, you know, on the other wing and a breakout or whatever it might be. So I, you know, maybe it's just me. I don't, I don't make a huge deal out of, out of the position changes because I think Alex Tuck looked a little more comfortable on left wing this year. I didn't think it was as, as much of an issue, but I just, I think in terms of overall and, you know, the impact that it can have on the third line, um, you know, just the upgrade overall. I mean, I have to learn a little bit more about Matthias Yanmark in terms of just his game overall and, you know, what I've read and what I've seen uh, and what I've been told sort of don't entirely mesh. You know, I, I've I've been told, you know, he's a defensive guy. I've been told he's got an offensive touch. Everybody seems to think he's got speed. So in terms of pairing him with Alex Tuck on a wing and having two guys that can really you know, fly down the side, you know, the boards and, and cause some problems for defense, you know, that way. And if Tomas Nosek is the center and continues to play, you know, the way that he's played, it'll be an interesting, uh, I guess, interesting to see how they fit together and sort of what chemistry they develop, where guys, you know, sort of want to be on the ice and how that all sorts of, how that all sort sort of meshes together. You never know. Uh, I mean, some guys, you can just put them together and for whatever reason, they have instant chemistry. Some guys you would think would work together well based on style of play or analytics. You put them together and they don't work well. So, you know, you never really know. But I think in terms of just, you know, the third line overall and maybe creating some kind of identity there, it's been better for the Golden Knights this year, but it's still not entirely fixed. and, And it still feels like, sort of an ongoing issue. And if they run into a team, you know, like Colorado with a very solid third line in a seven game series, those are the types of things that, you know, can, you know, can tip a series in, in one team's direction. No, absolutely. So we'll see if this does indeed provide a boost for the Knights. I think we've kind of mentioned this kind of move made a lot of sense, but it's still, doesn't come completely without question marks. So let's first get to what you hinted at earlier, Dave, and kind of other targets for the Knights. Uh, One name that was thrown out a lot, and he basically confirmed it publicly, was Anaheim Ducks captain Ryan Getzlaff. Uh, Getzlaff was not traded at the deadline, but he mentioned uh, in a post-trade deadline Zoom call with the media yesterday that uh, his general manager, Bob Murray, was approached by the Knights about his no move clause because he has a full no move. So he would have to approve any deal that was out there. Uh, Getzlaff was a pending UFA and obviously the ducks are not going anywhere this season. So it makes sense that teams were approaching general manager, Bob Murray about him. Getzlaff is already a Stanley cup winner. So he's kind of got a, you know, proven track record. He's a vet. Uh, He's kind of been there, done that. And he could have potentially shored up the night center depth a little bit, probably, on the third line, obviously nothing ended up happening. And as you mentioned, Dave, uh, he has a $8.25 million cap hit. And so while obviously the Knights had to get creative just to get Yanmark, who had basically a fourth of that cap hit on the books, I think they would have had to get really creative with that cap hit to get Getzlaff on the team. And if general manager Kelly McCrimmon's kind of operating principle was, I'm not going to subtract in order to add, I think 
you know, it makes sense why that deal specifically didn't end up happening, but you can see the fit and why the Knights were potentially interested in Getzlaff. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, just because we're kind of talking about it and throwing it out and, and obviously he confirmed it, you know, nothing against Matthias Janmark, but I almost feel like Getzloff would have been the better fit. And depending on what the deal, you know, would have entailed and all that sort of stuff, it feels like if the Knights were going to upgrade that center and maybe even specifically that third line center spot was where they could have done it. And somebody like Ryan Getzloff with that Stanley Cup experience that you talked about, you know, with with that size and strength, the ability to, you know, not necessarily play a shutdown line, you know, always against the other teams, you know, top, you know, top players, but be able to do it, give a break to the misfit line. If, you know, Pete DeBoer wants that Carlson, Marchessault, Smith combination out there against, say, McKinnon. Uh, they can't always do it. So if you have a Getzloff out there that, you know, is bumping around and, and able to, you know, spell that quote unquote second line and, and do some matching up and some shutdown as well, that would have been an interesting proposition for them. I, I'm still curious kind of how they're going to deploy that third line and whether they can use them in, in any sort of shutdown role. We've talked about, especially Alex Tuck and his speed, and he seems so much more committed on the back checks and this year, just using that speed to bother people, get all over the ice and kind of chase the puck a little bit. And I say that in a good way. Um, And if you have, you know, a line that can create that identity and also chip in with some offense, you know, I think there's a lot of coaches in the NHL that if they can draw up a third line, that's, that's what they're trying to do in a lot of cases. So uh, the the Getzloff thing would have been interesting. Obviously didn't fall, you know, didn't come through. So, you know, we're talking about this all in, you know, what ifs and butterfly effect and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, we'd also heard uh, Felino, who ended up going to Toronto for a first round pick, uh, that the Knights at least had, you know, were kind of kicking the tires on that. And then apparently, reportedly, they at least checked in on Taylor Hall as well. So I think it was pretty obvious that depending on what the price and the cost was going to be, for the Knights and Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee, that they were looking to upgrade the offense or, you know, it, at least kind of seeing and testing the water, so to speak, in that regard. I, you know, they end up with Matthias Janmark, who's got a career high of 19 goals. You know, they, they've said that they feel good about where they're at. I, I, I mean, it was a question that I asked Kelly McCrimmon in terms of how the last few weeks, you know, maybe influenced what they felt like they needed to do with the deadline. And, you know, without saying it, certainly, you know, was referring to some of the offensive inconsistencies that they've shown going from, you know, six goals, one game to one, the next back to seven to, you know, looking for almost half the game, you know, against the Kings on Monday, like they weren't going to be able to score against Calvin Peterson to, you know, being able to pump in, you know, four goals in the last, you know, 25 ish minutes or so. So, it was obvious, I think, that the Knights felt like maybe there was a little bit of room to upgrade on offense, and Matisse Yanmark is who they end up with. But we'll see down the road if the Knights do have enough you know, goals in the bag to, to make it to a Stanley Cup and ultimately win it. One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our trained comfort specialists are here to help improve the air quality of your home. So call 855-1HOUR or visit onehourair.com. Always on time, or you don't pay time. 
Independently owned and operated. Licensed in their respective state or county. Look for 7 at 7 local streaming news from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Find it on your smartphone at the RJ app or it's available on Roku TV, Fire TV and Apple TV. Download the app and you're ready to go for 7 at 7. Great. That was obviously the question mark last year that hung over the franchise after they failed to put up a lot of goals in that Western Conference final against the Dallas Stars. And obviously the goals dried up a little bit in the round before that against uh, the Vancouver Canucks and Thatcher Demko. Now, it it is interesting that Kelly McCrimmon did say they specifically targeted kind of middle six forwards. And while Yanmark will start on the third line, he is a guy that played up in the lineup a little bit in Chicago. He played up in the lineup at times with... uh, you know, Sagan and Pavelski in Dallas. So he's got that ability. If Pete DeBoer ever feels the need to kind of shake the lines up or just give a different look. Uh, But certainly right now it appears that they're going the depth scoring route and they went with a winger in Yanmark over some of the centers that we talked about. Uh, Felino is a guy who uh, is going to play wing in Toronto. He's mainly played wing, but he at least has some inkling of center versatility. I want to get to one of the other uh, question marks that we have uh, around the Yanmark move. We mentioned there's some other options, and this is the one they went with. Uh, you mentioned Taylor Hall, Dave. So what do you make of the fact? And, of course, this is the joke going around Twitter, mostly, actually, at the Buffalo Sabres expense, I feel like, instead of the Knights. Uh, but the Knights, essentially, because they gave up a, a second and a third and got back a fifth, uh, you could make the argument that they gave up more than the Boston Bruins did in the Taylor Hall trade. Uh, Taylor Hall, of course, former uh, league MVP for the New Jersey Devils, was with the Buffalo Sabres this year and is having a not great year, just like basically everyone on the Buffalo Sabres is. He only had two goals. Um, He also had a no-move trade that he signed in the offseason when he signed his one-year deal with Buffalo. So he was in control of the destination. It sounded like basically he wanted to get himself to Boston, uh, but the Bruins gave up, you know, a couple players and basically a second round pick to get Taylor Hall. Uh, so I guess what are your just kind of thoughts wrapping your head around the fact that uh, that was the price that ended up going for Taylor Hall while the Knights had a much very or a different price point that they ended up paying for uh, a guy that I think, you know, pretty much everyone can say is a good player, but certainly not a Taylor Hall level player in Matthias Yanmark. Yeah, so so this is the first thing that comes to mind when I think about this, and I'm going to go to baseball. Um, and it's kind of like the Jim Rice, uh, Harold Baines, you know, like they make the Hall of Fame. And all of a sudden now you judge everything off those guys. And they almost were outliers and anomalies, seemingly, as baseball Hall of Famers. And nothing against those two as players, but it almost like sort of lowers the standard a little bit. And so why I bring that up is I think it's analogous because if you take every other trade that happened, you know, I think there was like 17 of them, 32 players involved that you can correct me if, if my numbers are way off, if I remember seeing those correctly, but almost all the other ones had kind of right market value. And it was, the outliers seem to be Taylor Hall. And so now everybody on Twitter and all of us can go, oh, well, that's the, you know, that's the standard or the baseline that everything should be judged off of. And now no matter what, everything is, well, you could have had Taylor Hall for, you know, X, Y, or Z or whatever. 
And I don't know that that's entirely fair to like judge, you know, the Knights in terms of what they gave up because it almost feels it, in a way it's more of an indictment on like Kevin Adams and just the situation that the Sabres put themselves in in general with, with Taylor Hall and the acquisition, you know, having sort of a one-year gamble with him, having it not work out in terms of his production. I know if I'm a GM and I'm playing poker basically against Kevin Adams and, and trying to, you know, pry Taylor Hall away from him. I mean, I'm doing a hard sell that like this guy hasn't been good for a couple of years. He went to Arizona. He didn't do all that much. He comes to, to you guys, Buffalo. He doesn't do all that much. I'm not giving up a first round pick for him. And if you hold your line on it and hold your stance and Kevin Adams doesn't have much leverage on it and you kind of go, well, I guess that's the best I can do. That's the best you can do. So in some regard, I think like it's almost not fair that there's the Taylor Hall thing in the mix with all this sort of throwing off, um, you know, the judgment or the numbers or, you know, what what an actual trade, you know, at the deadline looks like. Although it's just a weird year in general, though, right? I mean, you have all this sort of stuff lingering with like a flat cap. And then, you know, the other thing, too, that Kelly McCrimmon sort of touched on is the 2021 upcoming draft. And the scouting departments have had a, such a hard time getting any real long-term evaluations on so many of these kids. So it's kind of, they feel like almost a crapshoot in some ways with this draft and, you know, where you're picking and, and, you know, what is the draft capital worth versus, you know, say in a normal year and, and all of those sorts of things. And then here's the other one too. And I read a great article about this that was sort of underlying is the Seattle expansion draft and what teams, you know, you're acquiring somebody or, or potentially wanting to acquire somebody who might be a rental or might not. And the expansion draft and the protection lists all factor into that, as well. So there was, I think, a lot of mitigating circumstances at this particular deadline that maybe, you know, factored into what, you know, value Taylor Hall got in return or what some other teams were willing to pay for guys and, and just sort of make a run. I, you know, I think maybe Felino is a borderline first round pick type guy at the deadline in this year. I think Toronto in its situation and position was just more willing to give something up like that. So, there's just a lot of supply and demand, I think, at work with all this. But yeah, really, I just think the Taylor Hall thing is almost like the outlier and kind of screws up the evaluation and just makes it, you know, makes it fun. It's like a punchline for every other trade that happened now. Right. I mean, you mentioned, you know, uh, Kyle Palmieri went from New Jersey to the New York Islanders. That was a first round pick that was involved in that deal. Nick Felino, which we already mentioned, Toronto gave up a first round pick. As part of that deal, um, Jeff Carter, who moved from the Kings to the Penguins and was actually, I mean, you mentioned the expansion draft. He was one of the rare um, guys with term that actually got moved. Uh, normally, GMs love to give up more for guys that they know aren't just going to be around for, you know, a couple weeks or a month or something. Uh, this year, GMs are actually more willing to take on rentals because you mentioned the expansion draft coming up. Uh, the Knights, of course have Yanmark as a rental because he'll be an unrestricted free agent this offseason, but they are exempt from the expansion draft. So that's not quite in their calculus, though I'm sure kind of having the salary cap uh, hit quickly off the books uh, will, you know, play it into their decision a little bit as well. And of course, the last thing I'll say about kind of the the cost that the Knights or other teams paid because uh, the Leafs also got hammered for giving up a first round pick for Felino is that, uh, you know, 
banners fly forever. And if the Leafs end up winning the uh, Stanley Cup this year, no one will care what they gave up for Nick Foligno and same with the Golden Knights and Matthias Janmark. All right, so that's what the Knights did. Hopefully, you guys have a pretty good understanding of the trade. It's kind of upside. It's potential downside. Everything that's going on, why the Knights felt compelled to make that move specifically. And now I want to wrap up uh, by going over what else is going on in the West Division because obviously how other teams acted or reacted to what the Knights are doing sets up the playoff races the rest of the season. We'll, of course, start with Colorado, who, as Dave mentioned, uh, is basically just refusing to lose at this point. I believe they have uh, one regulation loss uh, since... Oh my gosh, it's since the beginning, since March 8th. So it has been a month plus and the Avalanche only have one regulation loss in that time. They have 15 or 15 wins in that time. And I believe they have two overtime losses. They're 15, one and two in their last 18, which is just Insane, And so, frankly, the fact that the Knights are uh, four points back as of right now with a game in hand is uh, pretty impressive. They theoretically could have even be buried more in the standings right now. Um, But what Colorado did leading up to the deadline, they added uh, depth defenseman Patrick Namath, who is probably going to be a third pair guy for them. They added backup goaltender Devin Dubnik from the San Jose Sharks. And then they uh, acquired bottom six center Carl Soderberg, who has actually been with the Avalanche before, but he was playing in Chicago this year. So another forward that the Blackhawks actually sold on. Um, You know, is that about what the Avalanche needed to do to kind of plug some holes in their lineup, Dave? Do those moves kind of significantly alter your view of the Avalanche as a, you know, potential uh, playoff opponent of the Knights? No, not really. I mean, I think it would have been interesting had Joe Sackett kind of, you know, swung a little bigger, but I guess... You know, if you're going to put yourself in his shoes <laughs> and all of the stats that you mentioned, like, why would you mess with it? Like, why would you go and add a Taylor Haller or, you know, some kind of bigger name and potentially dink up the chemistry and everything like that? Like, they're rolling right now. So if you're if you're Joe Sackick, you just want to kind of, you know, add and supplement. You know, they, they went and got Devin Dubnik as, you know, sort of insurance backup goaltender. I don't think they know what's going on with uh, Pavel Francouz and, you know, at some point, Philip Grubauer is going to need a break. I don't think they felt really great about, you know, what was behind in terms of the organizational depth and not that Devin Dubnik is, you know, lights out at this stage of his career, but I think he can, you know, get him some starts at least in the regular season and, you know, give Philip Grubauer uh, a break going into uh, the playoffs. So, yeah, largely, I mean, it doesn't really alter my view of them in the sense that they were really good before. Uh, they didn't pull anybody off the roster similar to the Knights to make any of these deals. And really they just added depth. So as long as they're healthy, as long as they're playing the way that they're playing right now, uh, I mean, they're clearly the team to beat, you know, in the Western division. Yeah. We'll go through some of the other teams in the West as well. Uh, Minnesota, St. Louis and Arizona all basically did the same thing at the trade deadline, which was nothing. Uh, It was a kind of a question mark in both St. Louis and Arizona, the team's, kind of fighting it out for that fourth spot in the West of whether they were going to, you know, try to potentially add to make sure that they got that fourth spot or whether they would subtract because, uh, you know, obviously right now uh, getting that fourth spot means a 
date with Colorado, which I don't think either Arizona or St. Louis would feel that good about. Um, but I think the more interesting one is Minnesota, who made a move a while earlier in the season when they added a uh, third pair defenseman, Ian Cole, actually from the Avalanche. And that kind of alleviated some salary cap concerns for Colorado. But I think he's actually played pretty well for the Wild. Um, are you surprised at all that uh, their general manager, Bill Guerin, decided to kind of do nothing else and basically stood pat at the deadline? So at first, I would say, yeah, I was a little bit surprised because I think Minnesota has been a good team. And I think depending on what they were doing or just the matchup or, you know, kind of what's going on and, and how they're playing going into the playoffs, I think they have a chance to to be dangerous. I don't know if, if that means that they get past, you know, the Knights and Colorado to really get to, you know, where you would have to get to to have a chance, obviously, at winning the Stanley Cup. But the more and more I think about it, the more and more I'm not surprised that he did, that Garen didn't do something. And the reason I say that is because they're still sort of in retooling mode. I don't want to say rebuild mode because they're obviously pretty good this year. But he came in and is trying to, you know, sort of alter that roster a little bit, shake it up. And I think they're a little bit ahead of the schedule right now. And so if you're him, even though it's tempting to say, okay, well, let's add to this group. You know, I, I think I can understand that you say, look, we got to roll, you know, roll it out. Let's ride with it. Let's see what happens. Maybe we get somewhere. Maybe we don't. But we got to hold on to our draft capital. And we have to hold on to our assets and not just start, you know, wheeling and dealing. I don't know their roster very well. I apologize for that. So I don't know in terms of like if they had UFAs and, and obvious guys that could or should have been moved out to bring something back. But it, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, I, I think it speaks to, you know, maybe where Bill Guerin feels that they're at, that they're still not quite, you know, in Colorado and Vegas's class. And it wasn't entirely worth giving something up to try to get their, you know, short term this year when they're building toward that. And there's more of a long term, you know, kind of long game. I think that Bill Guerin is playing with all this. Yeah, it's interesting just, you know, to remind people that Guerin is actually it's is technically his second year as GM, but it's actually his first full year because the first year he didn't really have an offseason because he came uh, in late in the game because they fired uh, previous uh, GM Paul Fenton, I think in like August or something, you know, not that long before training camp. So this year was the first year Garen could really actually put a stamp on the team. And they do have um, some UFAs they held on to. So they also didn't get rid of those guys, whereas maybe if they had fallen, you know, a lot uh, further down in the standings this year, they would have sold those guys. So instead they keep them. Um, and, you know, you mentioned it's his, uh, you know, first full year with the team. It's also the first year that they've got uh, Kirill Kaprizov, who was obviously the favorite for, you know, rookie of the year uh, in town. So, you know, it's kind of a start of a new era there. So maybe they feel like they're kind of building and they're not quite, at their peak yet. We'll obviously have to see if they end up uh, being right down the line. Uh, and then just, uh, you know, the other guys, uh, some, you know, teams lightly sold in terms of the, the Kings gave up some guys. Um, the San Jose Sharks were actually kind of a money broker where they helped out uh, with the Knights trade and some other trades, just kind of, you know, getting draft picks for weaponizing their cap space a little bit because Things are so, so tight up against the cap for everyone right now. 
and Anaheim made a few minor moves too, but uh, those teams didn't have massive sell-offs either that some other teams had. Well, that's going to do it for uh, our recap of the trade deadline this year. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. As a reminder, this podcast is sponsored by One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating. We are also presented by Brooklinen. Uh, as a reminder, you can check out all our written work that we did this week at ReviewJournal.com. We'll also, of course, be going over all the on-ice action for the Knights. Dave is actually in L.A., and he will be in Anaheim for the Knights next series. So make sure you're following him. Uh, and also, as a reminder, uh, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts. Please do to this one. If you guys do, I think you'll be uh, very excited about what we have coming down the pike next. All right. Uh, for Dave Shane, I'm Ben Goats. We are the Golden Edge Podcast. We'll talk to you guys again real soon. One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our trained comfort specialists are here to help improve the air quality of your home. So call 855-1-HOUR or visit onehourair.com. Always on time or you don't pay Independently owned and operated. Licensed in their respective state or county. Please check out our new 7 at 7 newscast weekdays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Get every bit of local news you need in seven minutes from the Las Vegas Review Journal. 